Hello and welcome to Super Saturdays, a comic book media podcast where we rank media by its story, impact, and visuals to figure out if these projects will stand the test of time. I'm Damon A. And I'm Jay Hayward. In each episode, we'll be focusing on your favorite comic books, TV shows, and movies. This weekend, we want to take you back to February of 1978. Bob Backlund beats superstar Billy Graham for the WWF Championship. Jesus Christ Superstar closes Long Acre Theater in New York City after 96 whole performances, as well as the very first Iron Man triathlon being held in Kona, Hawaii. And for all you true crime fans at home, you can sleep well at night knowing that Ted Bundy had just been recaptured after his escape from prison. Today, though, we're not going to be talking about any of those things, so forget all about it. Today, we're going to be discussing Detective Comics Batman number 475, otherwise known as The Laughing Fish. On with the show! Super Saturdays, Super Saturdays. Super Saturdays, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Laughing Fish came out in 1978. It was a really good year, but before I dive into what happened around that time, I want to ask you, Jay, do you know what was happening in the comic book world when this book came out? February, uh, or even just the entirety of 1978, was going crazy none of which was good in the terms of DC Comics because there was like a whole implosion going on around this time, Damon. Uh, really? Two dozen ongoing titles were just canceled, including All-Star Comics, Aquaman, House of Secrets, Showcase, and The Witching Hour. The vast majority of these books were just left and completed. Uh, some of them were able to be wrapped up in different titles, but a lot hmm. of them kind of did not get those ties fixed uh i also have belgian comic history here uh okay. sadly maurice uh Teleu, i believe is how you pronounce that last name sadly has passed from a car crash in oh. february 1978 he was best known for his work on uh heroic albums uh which I learned ceased publication around like the late 50s, but was really huge up until that point. His most famous piece of work was a character named Gil Jordan, I believe is how you pronounce that, for Spyro Magazine. He was a PI, and think of like, uh, like, imagine Like Dick Tracy. Hmm? Yeah, like a Dick Tracy, or even um, a lot of people would compare the adventures of Tintin to him, like a grungier urban um side to like a like a tin tin story where it's more of a of a mystery as opposed to an adventure story okay um, but that's some of the interesting comic history that i found out what about you damon you know it, it's funny that you mentioned that for once damon did his homework soups Ooh. uh so you know i found out that dc at the time they changed their page counts they upped their page counts to 25 pages the prices went up from $0.35 cents to $0.50, cents, and a couple of big things came out. Superman versus Muhammad Ali came out. 
Um, and then Talia al Ghul marries Batman that came out within the same year. Uh, and then also the Richard Donner Superman movie came out in 1978, oh, wow. as well, which is one of the big, 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 big superhero movies that arguably started the whole blockbuster superhero movie craze, arguably. Uh, but yeah, that's what I got for that. So with that, since we're doing this whole episode primarily about the Joker, he's the star of this story. Jay, my question for you is like, what was your first introduction to the my Joker? My first real in- introduction to the Joker that I can remember was Batman meets Scooby-Doo, or it was Scooby-Doo meets Batman. I forget I forget how it goes. When uh, That was during when Scooby-Doo, like that run where it was like every week they met like some other strange new character like uh oh the scooby-doo movies uh, that show? yeah it was something like that it was also the same time when we saw like scooby-doo meet the harlem globetrotters for the first time stuff like that that oh, okay. series and joker uh along with penguin they're just running around and they're causing a lot of hijinks for scoob and the gang and batman and robin i believe it was supposed to be a crossover to the old batman cartoon show which also had the introduction to Bat Knight the first time. Yes. Uh, that was my first introduction to the Joker was way back when. The very first time when I started enjoying the Joker, I think for a lot of people, was probably from The Dark Knight. Uh, and then I fell in love with the Joker from 66 Batman, Cesar Romero. And list just goes on and on and on. Uh, my huge Joker fan ever since Damon can attest that especially around like the early bits of when we met in high school one of the biggest characters that I had been in love with I had to tell myself that the new 2016 Joker was going to be good before we went and saw Suicide Squad together Uh, it's been a wild ride ever since that uh, Scooby-Doo meets Batman now that I'm thinking about it uh, but what about you, Damon? What was your first introduction to the clown prince of crime? Um, you know, my first introduction would have to probably be the Batman 89 film, maybe even the 66. I don't really know what my first first introduction was. I think it was like a little cocktail of different things. Um, I loved watching the Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Mark Hamill as the Joker. He really is the quintessential voice for the character. Um, I would say I started learning a lot more about the character once. Um I watched the 89 movie and then a lot of curiosity stunned from that. I think my first introduction comics wise was primarily uh, when I was like in fourth grade. Uh, my mom bought me this like book called uh, Batman, the Sunday classics. So it was like a lot of the Batman comic strips from the forties and fifties. Um, and a lot of different stories ran there, especially like the infamous Joker's boner story joker's boner um, story not not okay so like in the story the joker is basically mad that this one um villain is trying to outdo him and he uses the word boner to talk about how he wants to outdo outdo the villain or whatever at the time the term boner meant like blunder like mm-hmm. mess up or whatever so it didn't have the weird the connotation we have today um and just the book itself it was pretty cool like just a lot of different serialized stuff it even showed like the first appearance of a Catwoman in the book and it had like a lot of different history in there and everything it was pretty cool so i think that was my like first comic introduction to him later on it was probably uh the killing joke like everyone else reads and everything but yeah i love the joker 
I think my first time ever reading a comic book with Joker, I think honestly could have been Death in the Family. That really could have been mm. my first time actually reading because I really fell in love with Under the Red Hood, the animated film, which also Joker is a primary part in. And I remember, if anyone else can remember, Xfinity On Demand, the big old blue menu <laughs> screen. You you had to search through things, and there was like a premium channel stuff that had free movies. Uh, the comic book movie stuff, though, would always have a bunch of like bonus features as well buried within on demand so i had learned a whole bunch of like comic history all like those documentaries and stuff yeah on there. but they're only they're only they were only like the featurette sized i don't remember maybe they were longer mm -hmm. as well i can't remember because i was you know i was a kid when that was uh when that was around but i remember that stuff so distinctly that that got me so interested enough to find death in the family which i do have a, a printing of with all the uh, parts of that whole series together and uh, it even mm -hmm. has the uh, a panel a copy of the the panel of the end of I think the the second to last comic where uh, or the third to last comic where people could decide whether or not to have Jason Todd live or die if you call the two different toll numbers and I found reprintings of that death in the family now um, they don't have that toll number anymore in there they completely scrapped that out so mm. you can't you can't find a whole lot of uh publications of those numbers anymore which is wild to me probably because they don't own those numbers now if anyone does it would be a remarkable i guess but yeah that that i guess that would be my introduction to it, comic joker now that i'm thinking about it when you really think about it the fact that like yeah, it might be a fictional character, but the fact that the life of a child was in everybody's hands and everyone was like, fuck that kid. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of messed up when you think about it. I, so much so, I think there's just, um, there's this book called The Brat Pack, which is kind of like a satire on like sidekicks and everything. Very, very dark book. Very dark. Um, Very interesting, though. It's kind of like The Boys, but like a little more dark. I read it like a couple years ago and it was kind of like a satire on the idea of like um, sidekicks being indisposable and everything. But, you know, let's dive in. <laughs> There's a transition music. Okay, okay. So The Laughing Fish is a 1978 superhero comic book story arc featuring the clown prince of crime's most infamous tale across gotham city fish begin appearing with the joker's trademark smile which the madman literally attempts to trademark all right so jay did you know that this book was honestly an homage to the joker's first appearance especially when when they showed him on screen and talking about how he's going to kill the copyright dude and then the law official no i i did not know that at all my goodness but that makes a lot of sense now that you're saying that all out loud because that's exactly what happens in his original run as well when he was just like a mobster a gangster yeah i could tell that they got a little bit of inspiration from this book from the, the dark knight like they, from that movie they they kind of got a little inspired by this and i'm not even surprised after learning christopher nolan and david goyer they do take a lot from like the whole neil adams and um denny o'neill run um when in terms of the racial goals stuff and in terms of how bruce wayne was like acting um and, and and especially the whole penthouse era because the whole penthouse era was a uh, during this time when he didn't live in wayne manor he lived in a penthouse uh, overlooking gotham 
And, you know, I just was kind of surprised as over how much of this really held up. I don't know if you knew about this, Jay, but like during the whole Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams run, Denny O'Neill was the one who was really, um, well, rest in peace. Denny O'Neill was the one who was, he was in charge of like bringing Batman back to being darker. It was like the beginnings prior to The Dark Knight Returns where they started juggling a little bit more serious subject matter. He introduced Rachel Ghoul, but he also reintroduced the Joker and made him get back to being a little bit more sadistic and calculative and also murdering. As a first issue to the story arc, I felt like it went by a little too fast and we didn't get enough information as we could have. Very bite-sized. Yeah, whereas the episode was like, got really good, really good. From what you had talked about with your with your bit of comic history, this is definitely before that time when they added more pages and brought up the price. Because my comic of The Laughing mm -hmm. Fish is still uh, 35 cents. And it yeah, it shows. Mm -hmm. When I when I flipped through the pages of this thing too, I was like, wow, this is going to be a, a really quick read. Which again, I thought was going to be because it was just a one-off. But this is deep within uh, a full storyline that Batman's going through. Which yeah, it does have a lot of Exactly. Reminiscent. Uh, or you can see a lot of those inspirations from this in the Dark Knight along this comic run for Detective Comics. Because a lot of this is also with the narration, too. Like at the beginning yeah. of the book had a bunch of narration. And I couldn't tell who this was supposed to be. Is this supposed to be like Alfred or Joker? It was just it was just a narrator, I guess. Bob um, Kane, like the ghost of Bob <laughs> Kane. Howard no, Duck, it was maybe? actually Bill Finger. <laughs> Howard the Duck, maybe. maybe? Maybe he hopped, he hopped universes. Who knows? Bill Finger could also be one, too. Yeah. He didn't get credit, so he's like, you know, I'm going to haunt this fucking book until you guys give me credit. I'm that really is a damn shame. He only got credit within the last like, couple of years, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Even this book in particular has uh, mm -hmm. Bob Kane's signature over the Batman logo. Bob Kane's a dick. I'm sorry. Yes. I, I had to say it. I had to say it. And, you know, like... Yeah, I just had to say it. For those who doesn't know, who don't know, Bob Kane, yes, he did create Batman. However, Bill Finger kind of like gave us all the things that we know Batman to be. Bill Finger's idea, what he did, Robin, he had the idea for the Batmobile. He had the idea for a lot of the Batman's villains. He even redesigned Batman's costume because originally Bob Kane drew Batman to be have bat wings and to wear red and black and be blonde with a domino mask. Yeah. Uh, Bill Finger then came in and he like kind of re redesigned him. Bob Kane did draw Batman, but a lot of the direction came from Bill Finger. Everything that we now love today, a lot of the prominent stories that we have uh, read and have seen or even have played like with the Arkham games, all stems from the different details that came from the mind of Finger. And that was something that was kind of prominent in his entire career uh, because he also wasn't really huge into making a public skeptical of himself, say, like how Bob mm -hmm. Kane would. Bob Kane, before he died, was very much like a Stan Lee. Uh, for the They were best universe. friends. They, yeah, and they were best friends, too. Um, one thing that, that just made me remember of uh, was uh, in one of my Spider-Man featurettes, like, like uh, DVDs, whatever, um, Stanley talks about a time when uh, him and Bob Kane I'm... went and saw Batman 89 together. And uh, he, they would joke about one day of like Spider-Man or someone would get a movie. Uh, 
but poor Bob Kane never even made it to see uh, that first Spider-Man film come out. Like they, but yeah, they were huge friends. Uh, mm-hmm. Bob Kane was always in the public eye. Bill Finger was someone who was so isolated and liked to do his work, and that similar made to uh, Steve Ditko, exactly like Steve Ditko, and uh, that's what what caused him to kind of never been seen in the public eye either, which which really sucks. It really does, and it just it, it just makes you think of like uh, the other side of the industry, because there's a lot of different stories that are similar to that. You could even say the same about Jack Kirby, who he wasn't entirely away from the public, but he wasn't as big in the public as Stan Lee and Bob Kane, and he deserves almost ex- as much respect and um, credit as Stan Lee does for the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer and a lot of different characters. Um, but you know, let's dive into this story. So we then open it up with a narration, like Jay said, and we see a huge splash page. And I just got to say the colors and the art, but a lot of the colors in this splash page by Marshall Rogers. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I I like it a lot. It's it's Gotham. It's raining. It's just, you know, we have this ominous narration and everything. And we're seeing that Batman is trying to enter a building. He's basically sound making it sound very dire in his internal monologue. He's talking about if he enters his building, it's going to be his like demise or something on those lines. And it turns out the building is Silver St. Clouds. Okay, so for people who don't really know who Silver St. Cloud is, uh, it's funny because Jay and I were talking about this prior to that. But like during the 70s, um, Batman was kind of like had like a James Bond type of vibe to him. And he had a slew of love interests. There was but tons his, of Batgirls. Yes, yes, Batgirls. Hells to the S. Women galore. But he only had like a couple who were like really important and big love interests that stayed around. I think number one was Vicky Vale. Then it was uh, Silver St. Cloud. So Silver St. Cloud is his love interest. She has white hair. And they've had this huge love affair. She also was uh, like kind of the inspiration for Andrea Beaumont in uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. But long story short, it's Silver St. Cloud's uh, apartment. Now, Jay, this is what really got me. Batman just like busts in. He's like walking in. She just got out the shower and he's like, may I come in? (laughs) First of all, you're already in the house. So why are you asking to come in at this point? Yeah, yeah. That, but that's something that Batman loved to always do. He has, a, like, a strange, dry humor. And then, like, you know, he's in there, and as he's in there, he's reflecting in his internal monologue that she knows who he is. And the entire time I was reading this, I was like, Batman, you're paranoid as hell. And then before he could even start talking to her, he pauses, and she pauses, and they have, like, this moment of sexual tension. And then he just asks her if there's something she wanted to tell him. Looks like the sixth floor or something. Like she's high uh, not up. even the sixth floor. It looks like a penthouse. So high oh, as hell. Yeah, high, high up. Clearly, they know each other before because of something that's happened with Deadshot. So yeah, apparently so. I would be scared shitless. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'd be terrified. She, she even jumps too. She, she even does. jumps when she like turns around or whatever. Uh, you know. So, anyways, he's just having this whole thing. His paranoid ass is just, is just thinking that she shouldn't know. She can't know. And my question is: before we learn that she does know who he is. What if she doesn't and he really did the extra mile of just going in there and creeping her the fuck out? Then that would just be a whole weird thing. Well, long story short, she does. They, we get a lot of internal monologues, like Jay was saying, to, saying earlier. We get a little bit of her internal monologue. She has an idea that he is Bruce Wayne. Um, so she tells him no. She doesn't have anything to say to him. 
Batman then apologizes and leaves. I added Batman was very polite. He was very, very polite, and I was kind of surprised by that. The Batman is a gentleman. Yes, he is. So the minute he leaves, Silver then drops to the floor, and she's, like, having her more internal dialogue, and she just is like, I know who he is. It's hard for me to really admit that Bruce Wayne... My boyfriend is Batman, but I don't want to tell him that I know because if I tell him that I know, he's going to leave. And you know what? It's a fair point. The, I, the melodrama just oozes off opera. the panels, you know? The melodramatic fall to her knees and uh, the thoughts going through her head, you know? It made me think a lot of um, Vertigo and the kind of melodrama yeah. that exists in Hitchcock's stories. Felt reminiscent here, which... Of course, a lot of these movies that come out, what, like 50s, 60s, maybe some around the 70s. When when did like Vertigo come out? Let me see. I think the 60s, so like probably 10 years prior to this. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Hello, happy Saturday, everyone. This is Editor Jay here. I just wanted to step in for a quick second to give the correct date to when Vertigo came out. That was from 1958. You may be asking yourself, Jay, you guys have gotten things wrong before. Why are you trying to correct it now? Uh. Um, so it, it, to me, it had a lot of that kind of feeling of melodrama or like a Humphrey Bogart film. Say like a like a, like a noir film. Uh, no, yes, very much like a melodramatic noir film. It's fantastic. Mm. I liked seeing Batman and Bruce. Like I loved that how... I think sometimes writers can make Batman too much of a robot, but but at the end of the day, he still is a man. He is a very mentally disturbed person, but he's still a person. And I think sometimes people forget that when writing him, and I think this one like does a really good job of going back and forth. Now, mind you, this is an older comic, so some of the like you know ways he talks, it kind of shows up at, at, at during the era that it is. But I think this is a really good characterization of Batman. Um, at the time, especially as you were saying, because it does lay the groundwork for the character. And, you know, so the phone rings as uh, Silver is having her moment of just going back and forth and being sad. It's Domino's. No, it's Bruce. Uh, my, I just wrote in my notes that this is some fucking mind games. Because wh- what the fuck do you Wait, mean? You leave her house. The fucking penthouse. And he's probably like a block up the road using his grass. And we even see up. him in his bad suit with yep. the cape flowing on the phone with her. Which also wild, Batman with a cell phone, 1978, a real innovator of the time. Exactly. My thing is, though, Bruce, if you don't want her to know if it's you, why did you make it so obvious? The hell? Yeah, Basically, literally, he calls her and he tells Silver, hey, I'm going to be late. Um, I got to wrap some things up with work. How could you possibly know I'm Batman? Every time I leave as Batman, I immediately come back as Bruce Wayne. It's like, a, Listen, it's like every time when everyone's like, where's, Sp- oh, where's Peter? Oh, he went and hid in the supply closet. And he's like gone Listen, for 45 minutes. At, at least with Superman, Superman has Lois to back up his alibi whenever he's gone someplace. That's true. And you know what? Yeah. It's funny that you say Superman, because that just reminded me of something else to branch off of what you were saying. Sometimes I feel as though it can be very difficult to write for these kind of superheroes especially when they're decades old, uh, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out the right way to articulate these characters for a a modern lens 
that does not feel forced. You know, um, this comic does it very well, but there are a couple of times when people do Batman stories and you have Batman say like the lines that you know that he has to say because they're always mm -hmm. lines that are surrounding him. Superman is someone who always has that kind of problem in, in uh, different types of media and different TV shows and stuff. The, the couple that stick to my mind uh, would probably be like Justice League when uh, the kid at the beginning of the movie asks him about the the Superman Goodbye. crest. Uh, <laughs> he makes this whole like, it's like a river. Hope and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, I don't believe as though that the person who is Superman, I don't believe Superman is, is believing these words. It feels as though that someone has made an actor say these Superman words or someone has told this writer to put these Superman or these Batman type of lines into their dialogue, which uh, can cause it to just feel very artificial. Um, but there's something about everything here that it, it works and flows off of each other. Even even at points like this where it should feel very comedic uh, for him to like call straight away, it still hangs into that drama and that tension, even as we mm -hmm. as the audience already have the answer. But then it adds even uh, a different types of suspense because Batman does not know yet that uh, St. Cloud is aware. However, mm -hmm. Batman's made it very obvious from this call to St. Cloud that St. Cloud uh, definitely feels like she's in some sort of trouble and needs to be alone and, and think and, and get away because Batman's just being too much right now. Yeah, she even says like she needs to go somewhere where he can't find her so that she can think. And honestly, it's kind of like going back to what you were saying, it's kind of showing that like Batman is like basically smothering her because he's 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 paranoid about her knowing and everything. Meanwhile, she does know, but she still wants to think over the fact that she knows. Yes. Which honestly, it, it, it feels very realistic in, in that regard, which I didn't even think about. So, you know, after this happens and after Silver has her little monologue and everything, we then go to the next page, which is Batman swinging through the city and he's having more of his monologue over the Silver situation. On, he's on saying top that he of, uh, Ghost Bob Kane. Don't forget about Ghost Bob Kane. He's still here. <laughs> he's narrating, he's still saying stuff. Letting us Let know. Me go figure. Yeah, there was at one point too, now that I'm thinking about it with that that narration where it was like um I forget what it was that he had said, but it, all the stuff during like Saint Cloud and after this it, it doesn't kill the tone necessarily, but it makes me wonder why it felt necessary to add to the story. Mm -hmm. and like this other like third uh, voice that... Uh, I, I mean, old comics did that a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, I, I remember that even in Wonder Woman, there was some narration like yeah. that, but that felt necessary. But it felt good. It made sense. It yes. made a lot of sense. This, it's like, I don't know who this narrator, like, what is the point of this? Uh, of, mm -hmm. of the narrator telling me this when Batman's also telling me everything I need to, to know. The art is doing a fantastic job showing me what I need to see and where they are. It, it feels as though it's chewing up the scenery of the panels where I, mm -hmm. I could we could enjoy the panel art more because there's even times when they carve out the panels for the narration to just hang outside the bubbles. And it it just doesn't look the best amongst all this art. It doesn't. And these particular pages, it stood out the most to me. I agree with you on that. It Sometimes, honestly, whenever I read in older comics, I do ignore the narrations, unless it's like something that's necessary. Mm -hmm. Like with Wonder Woman, 
like you said, the soups, the episode that we covered uh, a couple weeks ago. But for Wonder Woman, it all made sense to read it because it was just very like this is a myth. This is of the Greek gods and shit like that. Whereas this, it was like, hey, Batman's feeling this way. Oh, I hope that Silver will understand. Tune in next time, readers. That, that it was that type of shit. In, in a place where uh, bus drivers bark, that was that was one of the lines too. Like it, it has all that. Was it really? Yeah. Here, let me let me find. No, it the, wasn't. The beginning start of this narration uh, has in a city strap hangers snarl and bus drivers bark. Knives glint okay. in bar rooms and savage screams mingle with midtown tumulant unheard. See, like it's, oh, it's right. really setting this like over the top dramatization of how like shitty Gotham is. But if you mm. are on issue number four hundred seventy five, you kind of have an idea now how shitty Gotham is. I mean, well, Jay, every book can be a person's new book, I guess. That's true, and it does help uh, when there are points when, uh, like we were saying earlier that Hugo Strange is important to this story. He's not in this comic at all, but he's been in ones before. He's in like a previous story arc or whatever. He might be in some after. Don't I don't recall. But when it points out things like that, it was also like that in um in Ant-Man. There was a mm. little asterisk uh to let you know like hey, when Wolverine goes crazy, this is why he went crazy. Those parts I I can understand especially for new readers. Uh and especially I guess with 1978 as opposed to 2023. Gotham is still uh, a huge playground for these writers to really work with. Just straight out of the Silver Age where everything was also so constrictive and into a time where things can feel more gritty and alive for the character. I, I mm -hmm. guess it makes sense to add these things for new readers coming in, especially if you were, say, someone who fell off during the Silver Age for a while and decided to come back, I guess. Um mm -hmm. But I guess for for the sake of uh, how it's held now, that's that's the one parts that have, uh, doesn't hurt the story. But I want to see the art more, you know, because the art in this comic is just beautiful, and it's not like it really is, is uh, holding back the art from from being as good. But it it does feel like some blemishes. No, I agree with you on that. Um, so Batman swinging through the city. And he's talking about how he loves her and he wants her, but he doesn't want her to be involved with his life of Batman. And like I said previously, it's good to see him. I think with the movies, we, I think with the Christopher Nolan movies in particular, it kind of felt like Bruce and Batman was kind of an afterthought compared to the other characters sometimes. Not saying all the time, but just sometimes it kind of felt like that. And having this internal monologue especially honestly in all comics it gives you more insight on the character because in the movies you can't always have an internal monologue i think the most recent batman movie did a good job of kind of like having the best of both worlds because it's like it's not an internal monologue it's him reading a journal so it kind of gives you an idea and focuses more on him um on that but like i said you know they go between having like a human slash robot writing for batman so, as he's swinging through the city, he's then interrupted by a scream. Um, someone's screaming for help. For They're asking for the police. It's a man on the docks. He pulls out the fish, and guess what's on the fish? Joker faces. Laughing Joker faces. Yes. Like, thinking about that, 
like just imagine that like a fish coming out of the water like say you're going fishing and what comes off the hook isn't only a, a like a piranha looking like mouse mouse piranha looking like mouth and like like white like paint clown paint but the fish is laughing like what the fuck like that's something straight out of a horror film I wouldn't want to eat anything. At it, honestly, living in Gotham City is—it's something. Living in Gotham City is something because I would tell you I'm moving to Metropolis because at least at least the villains there don't do the type of shit that the Joker does. No, they have some class. Lex Luthor has class. Yeah, yeah, he would never. Yeah, Lex Luthor has some class. Yeah, he probably would blow up my apartment building for like a scheme or whatever. But like, but like at, at least, at least I have the prospects of like not being home the day he blows it up whereas if the joker just stumbled across my apartment he would probably walk on in and then he'd be like you know what i like you i'm gonna use you sometime years later he can then find me potentially murder everybody i love you so, no nah, i don't got time for that yeah this dude will shoot babies like this guy is yeah. not above shooting babies yeah, he, yeah he'll kill anybody okay so <laughs> and keep in mind soups this isn't just a fish that the fisherman is showing Batman. This is a whole, whole basket catch. of cackling fish. And yeah. uh, it's not just him having this problem. There's some people on a boat, some fishermen also on their barge still. And they have tons of fish just filled with these guys. And, and the comic even says that it's not just this seaboard, but it's made it to the western side as well. And the Eastern Seaboard, yeah. so across the entire country at that point. It has become an actual epidemic across the whole country. And one night, for that, we just pop straight to the fish. So we then get to the city commission. And the Joker and his goons bust in with guns, right? And then I love this because behind his goons, the Joker walks in. And he's just laughing. And I just love his like introduction yes. in the art. I like that the onomatopoeia of the like him laughing it like basically like wraps around him as he's walking in. That's cool as hell. And then he's taking off a hat. The most iconic panel, I think, in the history exactly. of this character is is right here. And I love that the show they did like kind of honestly beat for beat this scene onwards when he's talking to Francis. They even ripped some of the dialogue from the book in, a lot into the of, show. A huge amount of the dialogue, yeah. They're just going beat for beat. And then, you know, I was just sitting there and I would just put in my notes, I put love that Joker, especially when uh, basically Francis says, well, the worker, there's a worker at the commission office and he basically says, good Lord, in response to the Joker. And then the Joker is like, he looks behind himself and he's like, where? Where? And oh my God, this is just fucking hilarious. I didn't expect to have myself laugh at this. For some reason, so the Joker in that panel, uh, I just noticed too. Uh, there's something that happened, I guess, to the ink or something, the color, but uh, his hat just magically turns to, like a bright lavender pink for like a panel. Uh, I, I just love the little little bits like that that I've been able to notice as we've been going through these different comics, the like different like mistakes and errors. It's like how I like when I when I watch um, movies and stuff, when you can see where there's like continuity bits that are messed up. Yeah, it's like a little goof. Yeah, exactly. I just love it. I love the interaction the Joker Joker had with the worker. And uh, basically, the Joker comes in. He drops a fish on the guy's desk. And they're going to talk about his fish. So the Joker basically asks him, what is everybody talking about? And the guy says, 
your fish. The Joker then backhands him. Because he wasn't And so that's holding you not to talk. You are finally just a cog, so don't speak to me again. And then immediately goes, now what is everybody in the country talking about? Francis responds, your fish, and immediately gets right-handed. Same thing that happens in the animated series too, but instead with the fish. I thought it was funny. Honestly, I just thought it was funny if he didn't would say have been, it. it would have if been he didn't really tell funny. him not to talk. Because even, that even fits in line with the Joker too. Yeah, Full eccentric wackadoodle, especially like straight into it. Yeah. You have to remember it's the middle of the day, office full of people. Who just waltzes in, no problem, big old smile, grin to grin, and he's instantly going into talking shop, smacking around the workers. Uh, he is here and exactly in the best in his best Joker, classic Joker. So the Joker basically tells him his plan. And since the fish looks like him, he wants to copyright them to get money off of every single fish sale. So the Joker is like really excited about this. And then Francis tells him that's impossible. You can't do that. So you can't do it primarily because the fish are a natural resource, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, The Joker then gets mad. And tells Francis that he has until midnight to change his Francis. mind. Yeah, as if they, he has. It a is say. all Francis's fault, according to the Joker, one hundred percent. Even though Francis tells him, "Well, it's not my fault; it's the law." Uh, but Joker doesn't Love care. That Joker. He gives him that warning till midnight, and tells his goons to go and start pumping more and more of this toxin into the water. Because he's got some other business to handle, Damon. Exactly. But wait, ah. you forgot one part. This is the part that I had me laughing. when I, re- I want to say I shouldn't have been laughing. But the Joker and his goons are hitting the streets. And the one goon, his name is Blue Eyes. He then asks the Joker, what, what are they going to do? What's he going to do? And the Joker basically tells him, like, oh, okay, you know, I got some other things to attend to. But, by the way mind your business he then pushes blue eyes into oncoming traffic as a semi truck is coming and he gets ran over i didn't expect that shit to get that dark but it was dark as hell it's a giant fucking tanker truck too so you know he is just yeah. flattened and the joker you know he laughs it off just dead but this is where this is where things turn a little bit from the comic and the the show yet again um because this is also when we meet Rupert Thorne. Who I was kind of surprised to see him in this comic. Honestly, if I'm being quite real with you, I thought Rupert Thorne was just someone they made for the animated series. I had Me no too. idea that he was originally in the comics too. And he, he they does. look exactly the same. Dude, it, I was so surprised, uh, especially because Rupert Thorne is extremely important to this whole other like story going on. Um, which also, the fact mm-hmm. that there's this whole other thing that they're talking about with Hugo Strange... And it's clear that Rupert Thorne's a part of it and St. Cloud's a part of it. Joker, around this time, feels like he is really just like the strangest blemish detour that Batman could be dealing with right now. Like like another like pain on top of what's going on in this other story, which he does in like Death in the Family, where he's not even supposed to be the main villain and becomes that. Or Long Halloween, where he just pops up out of nowhere for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Some of the Joker's best stories are when he just kind of pops out of nowhere and starts interrupting the entire story where he wasn't even a part of. Something that we kind of see happen a lot in the fucking movies, too. And uh... Yeah, honestly, I agree with you on that. Because like, even The Dark Knight, you could even argue, like, yeah, the Joker was like front and center. But 
his whole thing was kind of taking Batman off of uh, off of the course for a lot throughout the entire movie. So I agree with you on that though. Um, seeing Rupert Thorne, Thorne just really threw me off. I wasn't expecting him to even be there, and I part of me was surprised that the show they didn't show him there mm-hmm. at all because he's been so big in the show, especially within those first like two seasons. If I'm well, not mistaken, well, uh, he's here for a completely different but, purpose, and uh, he's he's basically like the Zeus of this comic too, because he's like barely here. Like uh, for the sake of our show. Yeah. We probably also couldn't even wouldn't even have to have talked about these couple of pages here with Rupert Thorne because none of this stuff comes up again uh, in this issue. Honestly, yeah, because like the only thing that was really important for this was his interaction with the Joker, which had me on the floor. I didn't expect to even laugh about this. Basically, Rupert goes to the bathroom and then the Joker just opens a stall door and just, hey, he just he just comes out the stall in the bathroom and he tells him that, like, you know, hey, it seems like you're trying to figure out who Batman is. I'm going to need you to stop. That literally is all he's in there for. Joker doesn't kill him, doesn't do anything, just tells him to stop. Yeah, this is, like, I guess the, during the beginning times when we start to see Joker having this infatuation of the idea of there needing to be the Batman and the Joker. Maybe it's been done a couple times before this, yeah. but it, it really hits home here uh, in a way that, Again, every time it gets brought up afterward, it feels as though they have to bring it up. Whereas here, it felt like it exactly. made sense to, a, a, again, a story that we didn't read a whole lot that involves Hugo Strange, which in that story, he knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Um, and I guess Rupert Thorne did something to kill Hugo Strange. Uh, again, something that is so out of left field. Um, do you know anything that's going on with this Hugo Strange story? How Rupert Thorne's a part of this? Like, do you know any of that run at all by any chance, Damon? Honestly, I don't. I would have to sit down and read it. I would have no idea what happened previous to that. Because it seems like it was the last story arc prior to this story arc um, was when that happened. And it seems like they're laying the groundwork for it to come back around because apparently Hugo wasn't actually dead. Yeah, at least yeah that's what he's saying here too is that, oh, but maybe he's he's not dead. And even Joker brings up too, like, hey, I know Hugo Strange knew Batman's identity. I don't fucking care about that. He's disappeared. And I don't know if you were a part of that, but good. Good on you if you were. <laughs> um, And then Rupert just has the biggest fucking laughing fit. And I thought, uh, Joker had done something to him anyway, like some sort of poison gas or whatever. Like, something. yeah, what was that about? He has some weird fucking eureka moment about Doctor Strange, uh, Hugo, of course, not our, uh, not MCU Strange, and he fucking. No, why did he uh, do the finger thing? Yeah, that's right. Because we won't have to pay for it. For those at home, Jay did the, J, J did the whole finger circle thing with the. <laughs> uh, not not sorcerer Hugo Strange. Uh, Super, super buff psychologist, bald Doctor Strange. Not a, not. Doctor Hugo um, Strange. Muscles on Hugo Strange. Do we like that? Do we not like that? I'm in between on it. Because, like, I've seen him drawn in so many ways. They made him, like, buff or other times he's fat or, like, he's just an average older dude. I don't know. I'm in between on it. I prefer when he's, like, like, an older, like, fatter looking dude. Um, because he's always been such an yeah. interesting adversary. And I think the issue prior, he's probably like the muscle guy. Cause I think that's how they started him off with was this brain and brawn combination. Um, I don't know. 
I think he honestly Hugo Strange is one of the original Batman villains. He showed up all the way back in the thirties, thirties, forties. Kidding! Wow, I yeah. did not know he was that old. And somehow the most yeah, uh, the, the, somehow not the popular Doctor Strange, which also he had made a his <laughs> debut into the public media before MCU did with the uh, the Arkham games. So yeah. he also made it to mainstream before i mean he was um he was in batman the yeah, animated series and in the batman that one tv show um, i need to see more more hugo so strange love out there in the social medias because we've never had a hugo strange movie yet that would be cool to see in this new batman <laughs> honestly if they you know i could see it. this story see to the batman movies i would totally be fine with it imagine seeing the the laughing fish but in like that matt reeves um style that he has i feel like yeah, it'd be dude. even grosser because how joker looks in that universe he looks like i don't know like okay i'm genuinely curious as to like what happened to that joker because on one hand it looks like he cut his mouth open but on the other hand it looks like yeah, chemical burns so i'm wondering did he actually fall on a vat of chemicals and he just actually had chemical burns or what was going on i with don't that? know i don't know i guess that's what batman 2 is going to be or uh, Possibly. A strange crossover with Joker too. Like they have a strange into the Spider Verse moment. No, hell to the no. I would, I would be here. No, nah, I wouldn't. I would not be here for it. Fuck <laughs> that shit. Um, but another, <laughs> but another news. So like Rupert, he runs out and shit, and he's having his laughing fit. And uh, this is where the story gets kind of juicy. Um, Batman then meets meets Gordon because the bat signal is on. Gordon then shows him the TV, and this is where it kind of uh, mirrors the Joker's first appearance. Because uh, back when he first appeared, he did hop on a TV, and he did say so and so is going to die, and he also brought up the whole um poisoning the water reservoir, that type of shit. So basically, the TV comes on. And the Joker says that Francis is going to die at midnight. Same dude from the uh, copyright place. Batman then tells Gordon, okay, all right, I got this. Batman takes charge. He goes to Francis's house. He helps the police force, like, clean it up, make sure everything's good, have all these people posted, checks every everywhere up and down, top to bottom. Now, okay, this is where the show and the um, comic kind of yes. differ. In the show, Batman doesn't work with the cops no, on this one. Fact, he, the cops go ahead and they do it themselves. He kind of like sneaks in, which I, I love this because yeah. uh, not only does the TV thing pop up in the in the animated series too, but they have like eighty nine esque like commercials, like for Smile X, yeah, which is fun to to add that into like because again, this show is for kids as opposed to the comics supposed to be, I guess, more adult oriented, um, and. A lot of the focus here comes between a strange confrontation between Harvey Bullock and Batman from this point. Um, because uh, even like Bullock's like, no one's going to be able to get into this room that they have uh, set up for Francis. I don't know if it's Francis's house or wherever, but they have Francis posted in uh, probably like a safe house, I guess. Um, and Batman is uh, in like the master shot. You can see him just like standing in like the weirdest area where there's kind of a shadow in the art, the background that they made for him. He's just standing there in police outfit, no gloves. The gloves doesn't even. Yeah, mask. the mask is still on. 
So he still has like the pointed nose. If Harvey literally just turned around at any point, if someone just looked over there, they would be able to tell it was Batman. So yeah, I, I don't trust these cops at all. This is not a really, really well guarded. Listen, they are the Simpsons cops. They are the cops. Yes. In all yes. honesty, they're, they're, they're Wiggum. That, that's them. They're Hulk all Wiggum. Does except have for like Gordon. Wiggum tendencies, doesn't he? Like just overall, he really does. He's like a com- he's like a more competent Wiggum. Yeah. though. I'll, I'll give him credit. He's a competent. Instead Wiggum. of all the different kind of confrontations that Joker or that Batman's having internally, they they kind of change it up to have this external confrontation happen between Harvey Bullock and Batman. Harvey Bullock obviously doesn't even exist yet um, mm-hmm. around this time. And of course they figured out ways to add Harley Quinn into this as well during that time, which was also like what the second she adds to the show. She version. added like so she much. really adds to the story. She did. And, and it kept uh this refreshing too from just feeling like uh, another like animated series episode there's something about harley around this time as she's starting to to be added that uh they did a really good job of making her feel exciting to watch and uh entertaining when she's on screen yeah i agree with you on that she really added a lot to the story especially with how francis gets got in the story yeah and like I just like it. I like it a lot. I like, in all honesty, if I had to choose between the two, I'd say I liked the episode better than the comic, if I'm being no, quite honest. Kidding. See, I'm, I'm but, kind of the inverse. I really? I really prefer this comic more. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, back to what's going on with uh, at Francis's house, though. So, Batman is there. This is where I really call bullshit on. I call bullshit on how Batman is there wondering, like, okay, I got everything. We're good. Nothing can happen. Joker cannot get in here. He didn't eat. He didn't drink anything. We should be good. Then there's gas that comes out of the um, air vents. Just suddenly. Just suddenly. Now, okay, this is the only problem. Maybe you like. Maybe we're a little too used to modern Batman, but I really do think Batman would have thought to at least check the vents. I see. That's something I was thinking about too. And that's something I feel as though happens a lot to Batman, though, is he doesn't check the vents because this is yeah. this is something that uh, Joker does often. Yeah, you, like, you would think, especially because like this isn't his ro- first rodeo, and like the Joker is like a known fucking chemist who works on these type of gases and everything. I think in terms of the TV show, what they did with it, they kind of did something. It was a lot more ornate, I would say. Um, what they did is there was a truck outside of the building and it had a harpoon fish on the top of there as like an ornament on the car or whatever. The harpoon fish was rocket powered and they shot it through the window and then went into the wall and then, then it released gas that way. I feel like that was a little too much, a little too ornate in my opinion, but Hey, it got the job done in a different way. Batman couldn't have expected that. I do like the comic better in this aspect, though, where uh, Francis actually does die after the gas comes out of the vents. Uh, basically, Batman grabs a mask out of his utility belt and tries to put it on Francis, but it's too late. Francis uh, succumbs to the laughing gas and he dies. Gordon and the rest of his team and Batman are a little surprised when they found out that, wait, we kind of inhaled a little bit of the gas and we're okay. Batman then theorizes that like Francis probably was exposed to a reactive that caused only him to react to the gas. Yeah, which I I think hmm? I was going to say, which we don't actually even see him do in the comic. 
Uh, yeah, but just, in the show, we, oh, we, we see we see know, Harley um, spraying with the perfume. Yes, what it was in the comic or in the animated series, he gets spritzed with perfume, and Francis even points it out uh, to Batman just before the swordfish pops through the window. Uh, before you continue. Uh, there, that that was the moment I was telling you about that they turned into a whole meme. This the line where Francis says, "Yeah, I'm okay, Batman. Um, but you know, I never got a chance to clean off the stuff that the Joker's girlfriend squirted on me." And the minute he said that shit, Batman is like, "Get this man to the hospital!" Oh my god, I was freaking on the floor. The only time he would have made that contact was during the backhand. Oh, you know what? It probably was wasn't then. Holy cow. Holy crap. That's really that's really wild. I kind of wish we were able to see the Joker gas in film. I think the last time we seen it was 89. Yeah, it was. But yeah, like I I'm very curious to see how it looks cuz there's so many different ways you can do it. You could have it be I've seen some people, I've seen some artists have it so that the smile like it, like it embeds a smile into your face and then, like it just it looks gross. There's a lot of different ways to do it, and honestly, I'm curious about what would be the next evolution of that if they were to do it on film. I would wonder that, too. It, it keeps on making me think back to what they would do for Matt Reeves, but I'm more nervous in the idea that, um, especially after The Dark Knight, he has become a lot less of like this, this wackier and demented doing these smaller uh, crimes that end up on a public level. Um, where, where it feels as though that a lot of uh, filmmakers like to look at the more uh, terroristic side of the character when he's doing these extravagant things. Um, but there's there's more time, often than not, when Joker was doing just smaller things that are contained through the city and aren't always on this global level. Things like this meet that kind of global level. Death in the Family meets that kind of like global level, I guess, with... Um, with like nuclear bombs because at one point joker gets like nukes and then he becomes part of the united nations um but yeah no i i, I would definitely like to see what they would do now when they they're adding more of the the chemist side to him the 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 smarter edge side to joker than just always being the chaotic part of him you know exactly um because we only seen bits and pieces of that i would say yeah, I can't even think of what, where else did we even see him make the chemistry stuff. Now, I will admit, in the '89 film, they kind of pulled the chemistry shit out of his out of their ass, though, because we didn't even. They came out of left field. Like in that movie, Joker just knows how to make Joker gas. Yeah, yeah. And he just knows how to do it. Uh, I think it was like Tim Burton being like, "Okay, I guess he doesn't in the comics, so we got to do add it in there." We'll just say he takes over Ace Chemicals. Whatever, he figured it out. We'll just say that. Yep, there we go. There we go. He figured it out. He figured it out, he might guys. Be paying them with the fake Joker money. No, actually, he's paying them with Joker fish. He's actually paying them with Smilex. Yeah, Smilex toothpaste and everything. Even gave him the cutout too of those two girls. <laughs> Love that Joker. <laughs> I was just gonna ask you, what's that fucking voice? But that's that's the girls. Love that Joker. Ding. Exactly. <laughs> Love that Joker. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, the comic is ending around there. Batman realizes that the gas was a reactant to uh, to Francis and everything. And he then, you know, he's dead. And the Joker says on the TV that at 3 a.m. another person will die. 
We then cut back to Silver St. Cloud. She's apparently... This is the most randomest-ass shit I've ever done seeing, Jay. I was kind of taken aback. Rupert Thorne, he's still driving through um, on, uh, yeah, late at night know, driving. Keep in mind, he's like, he's losing his shit. Because when yeah. I saw him, he was laughing like how the Joker would. But he laughed he laughed like 10 times as much to even the Joker. Joker had a, a line. And then he's like, I say. Like, even, like Joker was put back by the amount of laughing. So just imagine like exactly. a cackling, like little dude out in the rain driving by. Think of Corella Deville when she was when she was driving with the, <laughs> with the, with the yes. eyes and everything, just driving. And then it's raining too. And then uh, Silver Saint Cloud apparently her car breaks down and she flags someone down. And then it's him and apparently they know each other from uh, an event that Bruce was having. Yep. And she's like, Hey, my car broke down. I need a ride. And he's like, Okay, I guess I'll give you a ride. Then the book ends right there. Okay, Jay, how random is that? What coincidence? I would have back then for 15 cents more to get an additional 25 pages. I would have done it. I'm sure back then people were like 50 cents uh, for our comic books. But the way how this just kind of ends, it grabs Mm. me. It's gripping. Okay, so Jay, what was your final thoughts on this, on the show and the comic? But primarily the comic, what was your final thoughts? Uh, Which has been really our main focus. I loved. I thought it was very interesting, and the story felt very enticing to continue. Uh, If I was a a young kid in 1978, uh, and I couldn't go see the first ever Iron Man triathlon in Kona, Hawaii, I would totally... (laughs) be willing to spend 35 cents maybe even 50 cents to have read this story and to have continued what about yourself damon i would say i like this book a lot i would i would move forward i would move forward with reading this entire story arc i would and i would say maybe i would recant what i said about the episode being better i would say i'd have to read the second one to give my final thought on that but I don't know. I think it's two different entities, and I think that there's two different stories. And I do think if I was a kid at the time when this was coming out, this would have been my soap operas. This would have been my stories. I would have had to go every single week and could get the next issue. So, yeah, I would totally, like, look into this further. But what do you guys think? Did Detective Comics 475 hold up? Be sure to give us your answers by reviewing the show or messaging us on Instagram at Super Saturdays Podcast. TikTok at Super Saturdays Pod and Twitter at Super Saturdays PC. Your messages and reviews can make their way on the show. Also, this month, in the month of April, we're going to be having a special episode dedicated to Marvel's first family, the Fantastic Four. So if you hop on our socials, there's going to be a poll that's going to be live for the next couple of days. You can vote which Fantastic Four story we're going to cover. Whatever one gets the highest vote, we'll do on the show. If you guys have any suggestions involving Howard the Duck, please make sure that you send those to us directly, because we will need those as well. (laughs) This was Super Saturdays. I'm Damon. And I'm Jay Hayward. You can also follow Damon and I at Instagram at Damon underscore 1003 and at Jay the Movie Girl. And for all you WrestleMania fans out there this weekend, have a fun and safe time out there. All right, as always... See you next Saturday, Soups. Hey, Soups. Do you enjoy the music here on the podcast? Then why don't you check out our buddy Jake Voigt at jakevoigtmusic.com.